Let us hear God's call to worship this morning, which comes from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. As God has called us to worship, he also greets us as we enter into his presence. And he greets us with these words, Grace and peace unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from Ezekiel 34, beginning to read with verse 11. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. The Word of God. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep, that they have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word as we find it in Ezekiel chapter 34. We now turn to the book of Acts and the second chapter, Acts chapter 2, which is the passage where we do read about the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the church. We're going to look at the last portion of that chapter this morning, following the sermon by Peter, which he preached on the day of Pentecost, and we have the really the establishment there of the New Testament church. We'll begin reading with verse 32, Acts chapter 2, and verse 32, the last portion of Peter's sermon, the Word of God. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father 
the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And then this last sentence will be what we will concentrate upon this morning. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word. May God indeed bless both the reading and the hearing of his word. The word which is used in the original in the New Testament, the Greek language, which is translated in our English versions as the word church. That word in its basic meaning in the Greek language was simply a word which referred to a group of people who have been summoned for a political meeting. The idea of being summoned for a meeting together. Now the writers of the New Testament, as they sought to find the word to use referring to the people of God, they took that word and gave it the unique meaning in the Bible of a called out, a summoned group of people for the purpose of meeting with God. For the purpose of their relationship with God. And thus we have today the word church. So what we are looking at when we read that the Lord added to their number, which is really a reference to the church. What this has in view is along with the idea of calling out to himself, the Lord calls his people that the people of God are people who have been summoned. It is God 
through the word of Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, who summons his people unto himself. But you also have the idea that by being summoned, you are being called away from something. The people of God are summoned to become and to be added to the group which are God's people, and by that the opposite is then true, to be separated from the world. So the people of God who have been called out unto God are no longer a people of this world. There's a lot that is involved in just those few basic things that I have just mentioned, just looking at the idea of, of, of the basic word here of adding to the church, adding to the number day by day, those who are being saved. And yet, in looking at this statement, we can learn a great deal about what the church is, who we are as God's people, and what that means, how that comes about. Specifically, what we want to notice this morning, then, is there is a community of believers. A community of believers that are summoned together as one. It comes about by the effective work of salvation. God has given to his son Christ to effect salvation of the people that he has determined in eternity to be saved. That does take place. And finally, they are made up of a people who have been summoned, called by God. Now going back to the basic meaning of the word, it is important to stress the idea that there is an assembly, like that word was in general in the political world of, of the Greek-Roman world, in which there was a, a called-out assembly, in their case a political assembly, but we have the fundamental idea of, a, of an assembly, and it is an assembly that numbers are being added to. The Lord added to this number. There is a community. And in the Old Testament, that community was recognized, was designated in terms of the nation of Israel, a very outward sort of, 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 of uh, designation. There were some from time to time who were added, most notably Rahab and Ruth. There were many who were subtracted from time to time because of their unfaithfulness and turning away from God. For example, all those who died in the wilderness. Now, in the New Covenant, God's assembly is not identified, though it is the continuation of God's people from Adam and Eve on. It is not a new community. It is the continuing community of God's people, but is now no longer identified by an outward nation, or by a race, or by color, or anything in an outward sort of way. But there's still a community. There's still a summoned assembly of God's people that are being added to. And so what is very important to understand here is that you are not called, and this is fundamentally held to by uh, many in American Christianity, sad to say. You are not called just as an individual, even though you are happy when another individual or friend or family member have the same thing, but you are not just called as an individual to know Christ and someday look for salvation. That as you are called by God, you are called to an assembly with others. 
You are called as a community of God's people. It is important that you as an individual know that you are saved. Yes. You are only saved by virtue of the fact that your sins have been paid for by Christ on the cross. And that you in your own personal faith and your heart know and, 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 and have a commitment of knowing that Christ is your Savior. But notice specifically the language here. That those who are being saved are added to the number. Added to the church. In the language of the text, we have that emphasis of being added. Added to what? Added to the church. Yes, it is those being saved. Every person, as I said in view here, is one for whom Christ has died on the cross and paid for their sins. Is one through the work of the Holy Spirit has, has opened up their hearts, has, has brought them to life, has brought them to their own personal faith and, 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 and trusting in Christ that he has paid for their salvation. But when that is a reality for you, when you have come to know, which I trust that all of you have, and I would call on you to do so if there's anyone here who has not. But those summoned by God to himself. And again, if you look back to the verses here in, in Acts 2 leading up to this, there, there is that very uh, interesting passage which talks about, as Peter pointed out, that the Christ whom these people, this audience, had put on the cross. It says, you have murdered him, is your Savior whom God has sent. And we read that their hearts were cut to the quick. And they responded and said, what shall we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you look, and then beyond that, we read about the fact how they were, they were uh, in that initial very difficult situation uh, of great persecution by others in, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem. They, they summoned together. Later on we read about how they were taking care of the widows and, and meals and all of those. They were a group. They were not individuals. They went from house to house and understood and, 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 and uh, encouraged one another and ate together in fellowship. They were a group, an assembled people of God. And their relationship to each other, because of the relationship that they had with God, was very important in terms of to one another. You see that highlighted very much in this passage. There are, of course, a variation of ways that this group, the assembled people of God, is referenced in the scriptures. Later on we begin to read about the church in, um, in Jerusalem, knowing that there uh, were a number of congregations, if you will. The church in Asia Minor, in which there were many different mission churches that were established. There's reference to the church uh, talking about the entire community of God's people. It is spoken in those various ways in the scripture. But first of all, notice that by being added daily to a church has a reference to a current status. The emphasis is day by day. When you are summoned by God to be saved because Christ has died for your sins, this is not something about someday. Yes, it has implications as eternal implications for someday being of the Lord in eternity. But you are summoned by God, the day that you are summoned by God, to be a part, you are added daily, day by day, to the church 
of Jesus Christ. Think of Peter's confession in Matthew 16. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, based on this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What, what that picture really tells us, it's a, it's a fantastic picture that Jesus gives to us there. That as the Savior, as Christ, through his word and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, means that Christ goes into the kingdom of Satan. And he robs from the kingdom of Satan. Those who Satan has in his grip. And he brings them out and adds them to the church. And Satan can't stop him. It's not the other way around. The gates are around the kingdom of Satan that Jesus is speaking about here. And those gates who cannot stop the power of Christ through the preaching of the word in his church. Peter And his first letter of Peter speaks about the church as living stones. The picture of a building of which Christ is the cornerstone. And a building that is made up of stones is not a pile of individual stones. It is stones being added to the building. Yes, they're living. That means that they are growing. It's a very interesting picture if you think about it. And yet, it is a building, it is individual stones that are growing, and it is a building that is growing. So, when we speak about the church, first of all, in a general sense of the overall God adding unto himself, as the prophet Ezekiel was speaking about, uh, recognizing that there are those out there in darkness and in sin, whose eyes are yet closed, who do not know the Lord, that God says they are mine and they need to hear the gospel and they need to be brought in. We are speaking about the church as we refer to it theologically as the invisible church. Not a church that is outwardly recognized, but all those who truly belong to the Lord. Those who are really saved by the blood of Christ. But note this as well. On the day of Pentecost, when they were quickened, when they were uh, recognizing what they had done, said, what shall we do? There were 3,000, we are told, that were added to the church. Great work of salvation and a great work of evangelism on one day. 3,000 were added to the church. By chapter 4 of Acts, we read of another 5,000 added to the church. Conservative estimates tell us by the time we get to Acts 6, where we have that issue there dealing with uh, the difficulty of of taking care of all of the widows who needed to have meals and so on, it's estimated that there were 20,000 now part of the church in Jerusalem. No, this is not the first megachurch. Obviously, they were meeting in separate places, probably separate synagogues who had become synagogues of, of the church, Jesus Christ. But they were identified as those gathering together for worship and fellowship. They were taking care of the poor in their midst. They were a church. They were recognized. They were participating in a particular gathering of their church. They may not have had 
a computer in which they registered all the names who were members at that day, but they knew who they were. They had a membership. They were added to the church. They were not just individuals who say, well, I don't need to be in any church. I know Christ by myself. No, they were added to the church. They are the people of God. They're all saved by the Lord. They are then together as a church locally. The invisible church, the people of God, all whom God calls by his word to know him, are always reflected locally in the in a visible church. Yes, there are always those within that church who perhaps have not yet come to know the Lord and maybe never will. But those who are the people of God, those who are added to the church, are added to the congregation of God's people, to the community of believers. What is also clear from the passage is that this is the work of the Lord. The Lord added to the church. Yes, Peter preached. Peter pointed out to them, very straightforward, they had murdered Christ. They were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ brought them into the church. You see, the Christ has com- commissioned the church, what I just referred to a moment ago, and we read earlier from it, Ezekiel 34. That takes place, not somehow magically, that Christ brings them to the church door. Now here they are, I brought them in, now you take care of them. Yes, the church is a community of believers who takes care of each other, and there's a great deal about being in the church. But it is the church that is used by God out there so that those that are out there yet yet would hear the gospel and could be added to the church. So what we are talking about is the church of God, redeemed by the Son, indwelled by the Spirit, is a church to which God adds people. It is the vehicle by which God adds people. God has, has planned in eternity, is accomplishing the eternal plan of salvation by means of his church. But when we are talking about the church and whatever concerns there are about a specific church, and no church is perfect. And no ministry, no pastor is perfect by any means. Remember, it is the church that is built and maintained by Christ. And in that regard, without going too far afield from what is really specifically in this passage, but I do want to point out very clearly and very importantly from this passage a couple of implications. First of all, Christ is the Lord. Christ who adds to his church and keeps his church. He is the Lord. That is not just for you, not just to have a path of something good someday. The benefits of being saved are tremendous. Life itself, of course. You don't want to belittle that in any way. But church, and to be in the church is not just about what's in it for me. Where's, where's the good deal that I'm getting out of this? Like you go shopping in a grocery store. But it is to follow the master. That's what the word Lord means. You have been added to his kingdom, just as we said a moment ago. 
when Christ calls his people out of the kingdom of Satan, but he calls them into his kingdom, and you have now been added as a servant, as a soldier, if you will, in that kingdom. He is the Christ. Those who were added were those who were saved. Yes, Christ says in John 17, his work is finished. That is, in the sense of having paid for their sins, having accomplished salvation. But the work now continues by Christ through the church to bring them in. And then that he on the cross covered with the sins with his resurrection gained new life. But now in reality, today in time, it's interesting to note, again, the, the idea of the time. Day by day, it's an emphasis, daily, in the King James it says, those who were being saved. But now in reality, the 21st century, there are still those out there that Ezekiel is talking about. That is salvation needs to become real for them in their life. We do not know who they are, but God does. And God has told us that as long as this church is here on earth, as long as we are yet here waiting for the Lord to come, we are, of course, rejoicing in the opportunity to gather together to worship and to call upon God. It is a preview of what eternity will be like. But we are also here for the purpose of the work that Ezekiel speaks about. The call of the lost. The church exists today. Has existed throughout the history. Since Adam and Eve on, yes, in the Old Testament context, now in the New Testament, because Christ has built it. The only reason that there's a church, because Christ has built it. And the church will always be around. There are times in history that we can point to when it seems like there's barely any sense of any kind of a faithful church. But remember the, the lesson that Elijah learned. It 5,000 that not yet bow their knees to, the, to Baal. The church will always be around, and there will be a church forever which is faithful, because it is Christ, the King, who is building his church. The church will be victorious. Very often today in our world, and understandably so, we look around at what is happening in, in our world, and politics, and in, in the culture, and in the camp college campuses, and so on, and we wonder, uh, and we're losing the battle. No, the church is victorious, will always be victorious. Now those are big, bold statements. There's a lot to understand in those statements. But it is the case because it is Christ who builds the church. And remember, gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So we have then this picture of the church. What we have here is in fact, when we read again these words, the Lord added their number day by day those who were being saved. We have the work of Christ. I want to be very careful here. There are always extenuating circumstances in Christ. It is not about numbers. We do not measure orthodoxy by whether a particular church has more numbers each year. I mentioned earlier in my announcement about many churches and small communities in, in the jungles in, in the Philippines of, of 15, 20 people. They're not huge. They're not mega churches. They're not great big powerful entities. There's the 
people of God. It's the church of Christ. But behind the idea that the Lord daily added to the church, and the fact that it remains true today, is what the prophet Ezekiel again is talking about. God is concerned about those numbers out there who do not yet know him, but they belong to him. They need to hear the gospel. There's not an invitation which simply says, if you want to leave that world of darkness out there and come in, the door is open. We'll be happy to have you. No. Ezekiel says, the words of God is, I will send my shepherd and we will go out there to the valleys and to the hills. We will go where they are, yes, in their perversions and their and their uh, uh, sinfulness in the pits of sin where that, and proclaim the gospel. The church is the church that is being added to, is a church which is out there in the world preaching that gospel. Yet they are identified as those who are the sheep of God. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. How can we go into those pits of sin and tell them about Christ I mean, they're going to laugh us out of the room, right? Maybe be places where we're going to be killed for the message, persecuted. But it's not that someone out there in the kingdom of Satan first belongs to God at the time that they were added to the church. The reason God says that they are my people out there is because they have been given to Christ to die for on the cross. They are God's chosen they are part of the list of names given to Christ to pay for their sins. They have not yet heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit has not yet come upon them. Because God has determined from eternity who his sheep are. Just as all of us, we've come from the same pits of sin. From the same rebellious nature inherited from Adam and Eve. And he has sent a Savior that we and that they might hear that voice and follow. And as they come into the church, they come from darkness to light. They come from rebellion to faithful living before God. And thus, as the saved, yes, they are added to the church. Now, we do not know who those are. Prophet Isaiah says, come and buy without money and without price. That invitation to the free grace of God is not just for those who have given some reason for us to believe that they might be interested in the church. Yes, we go and we seek to do mission work and we, we seek to establish a church where there are people who have come to us and say, hey, we want a church, please come and help us to establish a church and all of that. But the gospel is not about those who have first of all figured out that they need a gospel. The gospel of those who are deaf and blind and dumb to the gospel and he also says, my word shall go forth from my mouth, and it shall not return void. Yes, there are many that you will witness to, whether your neighbors or on the other side of the world, who will remain blind and deaf and dumb to that word and will never respond, who will actually be angry about it. But if we really believe, as we hold to so dearly in the Reformed faith, that God is sovereign in salvation, and that salvation is not what the individual accomplishes, but what God has done, then we will make every effort. We will not let anything 
be more important than to build up the church that is the church and to add to the church from out there. God has promised to build his church. We have a record of it happening here in the book of Acts. That work is not finished. This is not some sort of yes and say, well, wow, no one can expect to have 3,000 added in one day, and then a couple of weeks later, 5,000, and maybe several months later, 20,000. Yes, that was unique. But it is not something that takes place only on the day of Pentecost. This is a description of what the church is and continues to be. The Lord daily in time adds to the church those who are being saved. It is the people of God called out from this world to the people who belong to God and have salvation. Called to be a community of believers. No, the church does not save. Being a part of the church is not what saves you. Though being part of the church is where your life is at, and even this morning, We're going to be in a few moments participating uh, in the food, which is the food for our spirits, outwardly the bread and wine. But it is the Lord who feeds us and nourishes us. That is what we are called to. And yes, the Lord leads us to struggle with the reality of the temptation to live our life in the world around us. But we do not just become part of the church for a little bit, for a little here and there that we need and then go on with life. When the Lord calls you and saves you, He adds you completely to the church. You have been summoned out of this world. You are now the church of Jesus Christ 24-7. Remember, the Lord adds you to the church. You are then part of that church that you have been added to. Our God and Father, what a, what a joy, what a privilege to be called out by you. May we embrace that call. May we see ourselves as summoned. May we uphold one another. May we seek to be the tool, the vehicle by which the Lord does and will continue to add to his church those who are yet his people, but yet have not seen the gospel. We pray, O Lord, that you would use this church in however you have determined unto that end. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.